0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Line of Vienna Street podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Manning for episode 144. As I'm sure you all have seen over the last couple of months, we've been hugely fortunate to be able to bring you podcasts with great guests from Bolton's past. And I hope you've all enjoyed listening to their stories. Today is no different. Our guest made 132 appearances for Wanderers and is fondly remembered as a cult hero with one of the most recognisable terrace chants ever. Please welcome Mark Fish. Mark, thank you for joining us today. I hope you've been keeping well despite everything that's been going on.
1: Um, yes, very much so. Thank you for, for having me. But also, I was when you introduced me, I was hoping that you would go fish. But, anyway, <laughs> fine. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much.
0: I think if we had better microphones, Mark, we'd do that. Otherwise, it would deafen people. I think at this stage. But um, no, I'd like to say South Africa. I presume this is where you are at the moment now. It's one of my favourite countries. And as we spoke just before we started, you know whether or not this situation has affected you greatly compared
1: to how it's affected us over in the UK. So, uh, obviously, it's it's the same probably all over the world. But, uh, you know, for us, as South Africans, I think the, the challenge is, um, you know, we now we listen to the president and uh, the ministers talking and we're waiting for schools to reopen and what they're going to do. But mainly, we need people to start working. I think that's the biggest challenge because um, we are a country where um, we have very rich people, very poor people, and uh, the people survive on working. And if we can't work, then... obviously know what will happen from there so I think they're having the discussion and uh, let's hope that um, we go we were at um, level five we went to level four two weeks ago and the president spoke uh, two nights ago saying okay we're going to go to level three but they're going to sort of tell us the restrictions what we can and cannot do. Mm, Obviously I know that you were been involved
0: in the ANC and also a lot of charity projects how has the um, coronavirus affected you from a working
1: life perspective? Well, it's more from, when I say working life, it would be more, I, I do a lot of projects on the farms in Limpopo. So um, going to the rural areas, it's difficult. We can't, you know, living in Pretoria, which is obviously, not obviously, but in Gauteng, um, mm-hmm. we have restrictions going to uh, to other provinces, if you want to call it that. Yep. And um, to go to Limpopo is quite difficult. So um, I have to find a new way of um, the, the projects that I do implement um to do with with the farm workers themselves and this year we were hoping to introduce the the schools as well but um yeah with a challenge um reinvent ourselves and make sure we do something that's uh creative and uh good beneficial for everyone
2: Absolutely. i don't yeah. think the world's going to be the same is it coming out of this in any format whether that be personal life private life business whatever it's it's, it's going to be a different world altogether it's a sometimes it's a good opportunity to reset things both sporting and uh, and personal i
1: suppose Definitely, definitely.
0: Yeah, I, I know that obviously you've had a quite an involvement in uh, football in South Africa as well, even prior to you um, sort of helping to get the 2010 World Cup there. Uh, but f- for me, football has always seemed like a, a tertiary sport behind cricket and rugby in South Africa when I visited it there. When, when you were younger, what made you pursue football
1: instead of um, other things?
0: <laughs>
1: so um, I, um, I played football, cricket, and I, didn't, I went to an all-boys um, high school and um, I was playing first-team crickets, and it just didn't seem that is exciting to me for... I, I went to a high school, sorry. I went to a high school that um, played rugby and cricket, didn't play football, but I played football for a club. Um, so I, I played cricket at the school, and um, you know, I just found myself playing cricket all day, the, the way it was structured. We played all day, never got a result, and <laughs> carried on playing football. And when people actually found out, and this is the truth, when people found out... And some of the reporters found out that I actually played cricket. Um, they asked me why did I choose cricket over football. And if I look back, what am I now? 46. If I look back, uh, uh, a good 50 years ago, um, there were better-looking girls watching football than there was cricket. <laughs> oh, I chose football? It's honest truth. Not in England, there's not. <laughs> no, no, but, yeah. But anyway, but in South Africa, yeah, there was. Um, but it was it was an easier route for me. I mean, I played. I went to school and did what I needed to do, but um, no, football was in my blood and I played for a club, which is um, what obviously got me to play, eventually go on to wherever I went to.
0: Yeah, well, at least now, I suppose, now that football's ended for you, you can get back into cricket quite regularly.
1: Nah, still not a big cricket fan. Um, uh, no, I can't. You know, if you watch cricket, you can imagine if you actually played, even if you played a one day, you could actually be in a team where you don't actually even touch the cricket ball if you're on the field. So you, maybe you're not a bowler, you're a fielder. The ball doesn't come to you. And then mm-hmm. next minute your team bats and you don't, you bat low enough or high enough, sorry, low enough in the you know, on the batting um, lineup. Um, yeah, you don't touch the ball. So no, I'm not a big <laughs> cricket fan at all.
2: I feel the Very same. I, I'm far too impatient to play cricket myself. Far too impatient.
0: Uh, it's one of those things, and I think you either love it or you hate it, where, what, regardless of what country you're in. I, I'm interested to know, Mark, obviously, when you started playing football over there for, for Joma Cosmos and Orlando Pirates, what kind of quality there was in the South African League at the time?
1: So, obviously, we go back to the, the political situation in South Africa, you know, leading up to 94, Um, You know, we had football, and if you look at the history of South Africa, you had... Um, you had white football teams playing against black football teams, playing against Indian, playing against colored, and, um, and this all leading up to, you know, up to 94 for the first uh, first democratic elections. You know, I, I played for a football club, fortunately I played for a football club that was the first football club to um, have a black player play for them. So at a professional level, well, well, let's call it semi-professional at the time, but <laughs> so growing up, growing up as, as a youngster, I played for a club called Acadia Shepherds from the age of six till seventeen till I moved to Joe McCoswell's. We had black players playing there for us. So um, I never knew any different. If it makes it it never bothered me colour, but obviously when going back to going to school the next day, there we were only white kids. So um, it was it was I look back and it's you know, people talk about apartheid. and, and it's a big thing, obviously, in South Africa because we like to Unfortunately, people live in the past. We, we can't move on. And, you know, for me, the, the challenge is I, I just played football, whether I was playing at the age of six, whether my first game for Joe McCosmos was going to play in the townships, um, where they are, if you just want to say black people. Um, people ask me, but aren't you scared? And I said, no, we're playing football. Football is mm-hmm. a leveler. Football brings people together. And, um, people you know, people go to football stadium to watch you play football, no matter... Who you are, where you come from it always seems to me yeah no it is absolutely because I, I
0: quintessentially almost, and it seems very, very horrible to generalize, but it seemed as though a lot of the imports that we get over in this country from South Africa, for example, or the players that seem to make it tend to be black players, for example, and I think it's it always seems to from an outsider looking in that maybe the white kids were sort of pushed towards playing cricket and rugby, whereas football was left to be played in the townships has, has that changed much over the over the last 20 years or so? So
1: again, the, the challenge is that um, you know we have we, you know for the last twenty six years, if you say, talk about the first democratic elections, you know um, I think I was talking to someone the other day about it, but the, the challenge for us in the apartheid era where you know we didn't have football because of what the world said, you know this is apartheid. but you know, rugby, they still played the, the one or two games against New Zealand, but New Zealand wasn't called New Zealand, they were called the Cavaliers. And then cricket, they also played the, like the Rebel Tour. They played against Australia. But football never did that. So even now, you know, football's being played. Um, we are 55 million people in South Africa. The majority is um, black, if you want to say that. Um, what football has lost in this country is through school sports. You know, going to school at a primary level, you can play football, um, rugby and cricket. Those are the three big sports. But when you go to a high school they only give rugby and cricket. And this is what happens against Africa. We're talking about an education point of view where if I'm white, um, black, colored, whatever, I want my kid to have the best education. And unfortunately, in those schools, they don't give football. So we lose a lot of whatever color um, to cricket and rugby. Because yeah, I- of the situation in the country. And so whether I say, and we've had a couple of um, fly halves that's played for, for provincial rugby uh, and you listen to this story. Even the great Herschel Gibbs. Now, the great, you know, who Herschel Gibbs is South African cricketer. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah, what a fantastic fielder. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, he lost us the World Cup. You will not mention that. But um, <laughs>
0: you know, couldn't help Herschel,
1: myself. Sorry, Mark. No, no. But Herschel Herschel um, himself played under sixteen uh, SA schools with me football. So he was a fantastic footballer. But he ended up choosing cricket and. I think if you listen to his story, it was he yeah, realized, and he was an unbelievable rugby player. They wanted to sign him here, um, yeah, in a provincial team here in South Africa, but he ended up choosing cricket because they found out that he had a knee problem, and obviously cricket is a little bit more less on the knees than, than rugby and, and football. So we we still have those issues, um, you know. But our, our biggest problem with football is that um, whether it's at the school level or federation, is that you know if you look at Okay, our cricket may do well at a, at a um, when they play test cricket and one days, but when you go to a World Cup, we don't, we, you know, it's like the, sometimes like the British press, where they, they put so much pressure on the team that the mm-hmm. team doesn't perform. So we've had that with cricket. The rugby, they've changed things in rugby. They've gone according to the government and whatever they've done. And you saw, sorry to say, unfortunately, we've we <laughs> come to England in the World Cup final last year. <laughs> and then football, football, unfortunately, you know, um, the people running football are still stuck in the olden days, you know, and they they run football like that, that, like it's their own, and things mustn't change. And unfortunately, there's so much money in football in South Africa that they don't ever want to look at change, or when I say change, meaning um, people within the structures, whether it's um, staff or the, the, the um, governing body, or even the, the local league, the PSL, so... It's a challenge. Uh, I just think that many kids many kids want to play kids should, should be able be able to be given the choice of what sports they want to play and unfortunately we don't really have that in South Africa
0: yeah it seems like it's yeah. almost held it back a little bit because you know all, all the time now we see a lot of um, African teams coming to World Cups or whatever and doing really, really well, but uh, apart from the 2010 World Cup, it seems as though South Africa has been held back a little bit. Obviously, you played in the uh, the '96 um, Africa Cup, uh, Cup of Nations team that won that tournament. That must I imagine if, it almost must be a bit disappointing that your team was playing then rather than in the 2010 World Cup, when I imagine they would have done a hell of a lot better. Yeah,
1: certainly, and unfortunately, again, we uh, we can compare ourselves to to UK where you guys you won the the World Cup in 1966, and people always refer to that. And unfortunately, that's again, you know, whenever anyone talks about football, um, they will talk about 96, and they will talk about the team because people want to be relate uh, relate to success. And uh, you know, I'm I'm 96, <laughs> 96. I uh, was turning, I was 21, turning 22. Um, I'm now 46. I don't really want to hear about 96. It's gone. That's cool. Let's move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, unfortunately, we we haven't. You know, we had the African Nations Cup in 96, like you said, we won that. 98, we came second. We lost to Egypt in the final. And in uh, 2000, we lost to um, Nigeria in the semifinals, and we well, we ended up coming third. So those three African nations should have been something for us as as a, as a football federation to to build on. Not to sit back and go, OK, now we've arrived. We we haven't arrived. And unfortunately, now we are trying to play catch-up with the rest of the continent. And as you mentioned uh, uh, earlier, unfortunately, we played catch-up with the rest of the continent, but the continent itself is falling behind because la- the last World Cup, unfortunately, we didn't have an African team go through to the next round. And that's sad because then we know we are, we are falling behind not only... Yeah, we're falling behind the rest of the world, how we play. Yes, you can have the phenomenal individuals, the Sadio Manis, the Mo Salahs, whoever you want to mention, but we as a continent need to change the way we think and the way we play football. And if you want to compare it, I mean, we, let's, let's talk about the English league. The English league, you know, when, when I played there, you, know, you had a lot of foreign, foreigners coming in, but the foreigners lifted up the game. Now, you still got foreigners. Yes, certainly foreigners coming in, but you got foreign coaches coming in, changing the way that you play the game, the way you think about the game, and look what it's done for the English national team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you play, you're play playing a style of football. If you—if I had asked you 10, 15 years ago, would you play that style of football, you probably would have said no. But look at the stuff You're playing football that's second to none and uh, getting relative uh, success from it. So, we, yeah, we're still stuck in the, the dark ages here. And, you know, our challenge is you've got people that's been there that don't want to let go. And... Um, we just need someone. We need someone like the a good face, a good person that is respected, like a Lucas Khadevi that was at Leeds United. Yeah, yeah fantastic player. Put him as the president, and then get people around him to support him. And uh, let's change the way we think about the game. The way we think about the game is so key in South Africa because we have our football, and yes, we can. You know, the big game we have is Kaizer Chiefs against the Pirates. That's 90,000 people that don't watch. So, people love football, but the, the football that they watch is what they love. But there's we're not qualifying as a, as a country. We're not really we're struggling to qualify for African Nations mm-hmm. Cup. We're not even qualifying for World Cups. So, there's something wrong. And there's I, was, something I was
2: interested and to, to ask Mark, if you don't mind, just, just interrupting and apologize. Uh, looking, did a bit of research beforehand in, in the, the makeup of the most recent international squad. I mean, going back in the day, you talk about 96 towards 98. I was sort of 13, 14, and just starting to learn about world football. And, and the names that you talk about, like Sean Bartlett, Lucas Reddy Be Yourself, people like that would come from South Africa and, and, and leave and play abroad. The most recent squad I could find online only had sort of six or seven members of that squad that played outside of South Africa. Do you, do you think that, that there's a change in the mentality in the player, in not willing to, to move abroad, or are the opportunities not there?
1: I think I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think that when you had the the the, uh, the my late friend, late uh, Philemon Musinga, you know, mm, he two, yeah. two guys that went to Leeds. Um, so we left the country because uh, man, we <laughs> you weren't really, uh, you couldn't make a living out of football in South Africa. So they created the the, the, the ABS, uh, Premier League here yeah, in South Africa. So players get paid very well now. So you don't necessarily have to leave. Okay. But, but you do have some youngsters that leave. But, again, I think it's just the, the mentality. And I think what has happened is that, unfortunately, yeah, in South Africa, you have, you get teams like Orlando Pirates, Kaiser Chiefs, Mamalodi Sanos. I use those three big teams because they can get paid such good money. Or because they get paid such good money, they think that playing for their club and playing for the country is the same. They don't get it. So, right. Um, there's no comparison where you know your, you, you I think that I mean I was now with the national team in, in Egypt when we were when we beat Egypt in Egypt which was phenomenal performance by the the, the team itself but you you have players um, the squad fighting with the president of the federation about money and about Jersey mm. which we had which we had <laughs> in 96 or 92 even when we got readmitted to the world football so there, I mean, things like that haven't changed. So uh, we, our backs are against the wall, but yeah, I don't know. Something needs to happen. And uh, it's sad to say, but you, you probably need these, the, the old people running the, the federations and the the, yeah. the premiership, you need them to pass on before. Yeah, and a happen.
2: modernization, absolutely. Yeah. A modernization of that. I was surprised as well, just to make one final point about the national team, looking at, at recent squads. There don't seem to be too many young players in there, by which I mean, you know, sort of like 19, 21, 22, 23. I think the last couple of squads I looked at, I think um, Lebo Matiba was the oldest, the youngest at 25. Is that a problem in South Africa with young yeah, players? That,
1: that, sorry, that, sorry. That's the, that's the biggest problem um, in South Africa. Um, you know, South Africa, they don't, we don't think that um, you get a young player and we use, off the top of my head, you think of someone, is it Wayne Rooney, that, mm. you know, or playing the Premier? No, he was 16, wasn't he? That's yeah, right. Premier, and for England, England Premier, not long after, 18 months after. And then, and then and then he and then he's playing for his national team. So in South Africa, we don't you know and, and don't mean to say it, but I mean I made my debut for South Africa at the age of nineteen. You had Quinton Fortune at played United, also was very young. Um so there's been a couple of young players, but really in South Africa, unfortunately, the players develop later. So when they go and they and you ask someone about he's a young, he's a young player, he's a good player. And you ask him how old he is, how old he is. Uh, then they'll go, no, he's 22, 23. I'm like, that's not young. So <laughs> our mindset uh, needs to change. Interesting. We need to, we need to really um, attack the age of 15. When I say age of 15, meaning the teenagers, when you when a boy is turning from 30, 40, 15, you can emotionally, physically um, develop them. And um, that's what we need to do. And we don't do enough of it or something goes along. But again, there's so much... And, Age cheating, age cheating is a big problem. Not in mm. South Africa, but in the whole continent, it's a problem. And I know CAF is doing a lot of work about it, and they're trying to um, eradicate it. Um, and they are doing a lot of good work. But you know, unfortunately, uh, yeah, in South Africa, a player can be X amount. You know, anywhere of in the world, you know, anywhere in the world, you do, you'd rather buy a, a so-called 21-year-old player when he's actually 25. You know, so that's what they get away with. Yeah, and you can see it. You can see it when a when a guy plays, and he plays for three or four years, he's phenomenal. Next, uh, after that, he's you know he's meant to be 25, but he's actually 29, and he's and he's struggling with injuries. Sure. And you think, oh, okay, there. So, it's you know, money has become a problem, and the uh, the dedication to the national team, I think, is an issue where it was you know, and the best thing that, that could have happened is CAF went online with FIFA, and, and I don't know if you remember. When I was playing at uh, Bolton, um, remember we didn't have the same calendars, so that's Canada, right, yeah, the, the mid-season Saturday. for the Brit, yeah, yeah. So you, and uh, you know, um, Colin thought I didn't really enjoy it that I had to come back that season in the Premiership to come play for the national team, Demi- <laughs> uh, which was the um, uh, 96 so 97, 98 So the beginning of 90, 98. I mean, we had the African Asians Cup, so I was resting for three, three, four weeks, so. Um, but that was the good thing that happened we, on the same calendar, but it's, there's many things that we need to look as South Africans and why are other countries on the continent doing better than us when we've got all the infrastructure, we've got, we've got enough money behind the, the sporting code, why, why are we not competing with the rest of the continent as we should be? Did you feel, Mark, that you sort of had to leave
0: when you were younger to be able to develop yourself as a player, given that there seemed to be an issue with the South African clubs being almost stuck in the past? I know there were quite a few offers on the table for you before you made the move to Lazio. I even believe that Manchester United were in there looking at you.
1: So, yeah, and um, even the year before. So, in 1994, when I signed for Orlando Pirates, um, the, the club owner called me and said, listen, yeah, and so Harry Redknapp wanted me to come to West Ham. Um and then I sort of said, nah, I'd, I'd rather just stay to develop myself a little bit more. And then the next year, as well, 95. And then, then the chairman called me again. And then he said, he wants me to stay. We, and it was fortunate because Harry, sorry, Harry Redknapp came again, but he asked me to stay because we fortunately went on as a land of pirates to go on to win the African Champions League as a club. So, which was uh, which was good. But um, the, the United thing. <laughs> The United thing was after the African Nations Cup, um, the people representing me said, Okay, Man United and Luxia. So I went to United and I sat watched I actually watched Man United against Everton when Kanchalskis actually had left Man United, he went to Everton. He was playing for Everton. Remember Kanchalskes? I do, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. yeah. Fantastic so he was playing and it was a Monday night, watched the game, sat with Alex Ferguson in his office and he said no, you know, he um, he had been referred to me by obviously not obviously, but by Sir Bobby Charlton, who had flown out to watch me play in the Africa Cup. And he just said, no, he wants me to, to stay, um, not on trial, but just to train with them um, and see how I adapt to the surroundings. And then the people representing me just said, OK, well, we're not saying no, but we're under obligation to to go to Lazio as well. And I um, went to Lazio and the coach there was Zednik Zeman. And he just wanted to sign me straight away. And as you said earlier, I mean, Manchester, Lazio, Rome, I don't know, I, don't know let's just go. I know I was 21 years old, really. It's not really a choice. It's not a bad decision. Not a bad decision <laughs> to have to make is between two of them nah, places. No, nah. and I was single as well. So, yeah,
0: you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of an external motivator for you there, Mark. Then. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I know, Chris, you're desperate to talk to him about uh, 90s Italian football, so I'll let you lead the way on uh, talking about the likes of Nesta, Negro and <laughs> at the back of that defence.
2: For definite, and I don't want to hijack it too much with, with talk or anything other than Bolton. But like like Tom says, <laughs> I'm an absolute addict of of the mid nineties Serie. A. Those are some of the names in the team that you played for. I know with, with Zeman in, in charge, the you know famously chain smoking his way through matches. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some of the some yeah. of the players that you played alongside, you know the the, the main names like Nedved and Nester and people like that. But I'm I'm also interested if you've got any particular memories of the time around in the stadium. I mean, I've, I've been out a couple of times to see games and. It, not quite as, as glamorous as it seems on the TV when you turn up to the, to the, the grotty, grotty, rotten old stadiums.
1: No, for su- not for sure. Obviously, I mean, you know, you go from, as you were, sorry, to, to say, from earlier, so I played for a club, then went to Jomo Cosmos, you're playing, now next minute you've got some, you know, a few fans watching, then you go to Orlando Pirates, is the second biggest supported team in the country, and I was still semi-professional then, um, playing for Orlando Pirates, where we, we train three times a week, and then obviously played either Saturday or Sunday, and then at the African Nations Cup, and then next month you go to Italy and you're training twice a day. Um, yeah, um, my roommate was uh, Marco Gianni, who was the goalkeeper. He was my yeah, roommate. of course, Luca yeah. yeah, he yeah. could he could speak the best English, um, and then but I mean you you, you say Nesta? Uh, do you remember shamot The yeah, Jose shamot of
2: course, yeah.
1: So and then Casiraghi and Signori. Was there, so that it was an unbelievable team. I mean, the unbelievable talent, and Zednik Zeman had us there. And unfortunately, what happened was that I got it, I got it, obviously signed for them, got into the squad. And it, there's no better place to, as a defender, to go learn your trade now. That is, is in Italy, so um, it was an obviously an eye opener for, for me and an experience. But um, what unfortunately ha- had happened is that we we. We got off to not a good run. I don't think, think they expected us to do a lot better, but um, I got called up to, not called, called up to, the we had a, a European 11 and an African 11 play in Lisbon. And we, so I got called up and I went to the, to play in that match. And that was, it was a, a Tuesday I went through and we played on the Wednesday, but on that Wednesday they sacked Zedek Zeman. Mm, the Dino and, was off, wasn't it, I believe. It, Azov took over, and unfortunately, I only got back, I got back, and by the time I got back, you know, Dino Azov had taken training session, and he changed the team, and uh, they went out, and obviously, they went okay. on a really, really good run, so it just, it stagnated my appearances for, for the club, but, um, you know, it was just, it was fantastic memories, and the, the players themselves, yeah, um, I'm just fortunate that um, I wasn't there when Gaza was there, because I think it's been <laughs> Two of us together. I mean, it's been great <laughs> fun that I have no doubt. If,
2: if I may just ask one more question, Tom, before we move on to talking about an actual big club in Bolton. Um,
0: <laughs> what was it like training,
2: training with, um, with Alan Boxic and Signori and Casiragi and, I suppose, a young Marco Devaio as well as, as the attackers? Well,
1: no, so Boxic, remember, he was there for a while then he had a fallout and he went to Juve. Ah so oh, of course,
2: to the Champions was, League, yeah, that's he, it, was, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was Casiraghi and Signori um but you know, I it was yeah i mean it was a fantastic experience being playing with all these big players but also um you know having a a, a new a, specifically a training ground for a club you know that was new for me <laughs> and um having fans watching you train and yeah yeah so it's just the way the club was run that that was the biggest experience for me but like you said you know fantastic. Um, i have fond memories of a you're playing next to a, a young uh, Alessandro Nesta, and then I find myself um, going as a fan to the 2006 World Cup here in Germany, and you're watching this old play, and uh, they win the World Cup, and it was phenomenal. So, uh, phenomenal memories, and the, the guys in the team were, they were really good to me, and yeah, you know, it's... Fantastic. I learned a lot, learned a lot as an individual about myself, because again, remember, you're going to Italy, uh, it's a different lifestyle, it's Obviously, a lot more football, this and that, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. It, it was a, it was a eye opener for me. But I, let oh, me tell you something. So, not many people know. It, so, what had happened was that, so I signed for for um, for uh, for Latvia uh, in February. I think it was late February. So they said I must be back June, July for preseason, whatever. And we went back, and then the 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 deal at the time was meant to be. The, it was two million dollars to the club, uh, land of pirates, one million to well. it was one million to the club, 500,000 to me, and 500,000 split between the agents. That was the agreement. But then what happened is that the club owner wasn't uh, land of pirates, the club owner that owned me, and um, wasn't too sure about the, the agents that were involved, hmm. whatever. He flew over, and next minute, um, he went to the club and they gave him the whole two million so wow. as a youngster I sat, find myself sitting the agent calls me and says listen here yeah, um, they've taken all the money I'm like okay so <laughs> should I, should I... not much you can do about it really no no should I fly back to South Africa and go I feel sorry for myself or you know it's just money and uh, fortunately yeah, I back and went on to play yeah and then fortunately I had the opportunity to move to the biggest club in, in UK and that's how <laughs> <her album one. laughs> fantastic uh, yeah actually, it's
2: really interesting really really interesting thanks Mark
0: I think it's fascinating, obviously, to be able to move from uh, South Africa to Italy, new language, new culture, as you say, a very different style of football, I imagine, as well. But then, of course, you come to, to the Premier League with Bolton. Uh, I imagine that must have been another gear change for you, given the extra pace of the English game.
1: No, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we had, I think we had, I had the, the experience of when, I'm sure you remember when South Africa played England at Old Trafford, and that's where Colin Todd saw me. And that's where you wanted, you know, that's where the conversation started. But coming to the English Premier League, I mean, that's, it is, not because I'm talking to you guys, but it is the best league in the world. It really is. It is the pace that has been played and now the quality of players that you have, it's, you know, it certainly, it suited me better um, than it, uh, than the Italian league. Um, I it, well, I'm sure you remember or somehow the way I played football. I grew up as a striker playing in South Africa till the age of 17. When I signed for Cosmos, they signed me as a striker. And then we were playing at what is our sort of FA Cup here yeah, in South Africa, NetBank Cup. And then um, the central defender got sent off um, in the semi final. And the coach said to me, Okay, you go play the back. So I went to the back, and the rest is history. So I've always as a defender, wanted to be attacking. So, the game, the faster the game, uh, I think, the better it suited me.
0: No, I've understood. What was Colin T- Todd like as a manager? Did you have a good
1: relationship with him? Yeah, I think we, we had a good enough, when I say good enough relationship, obviously, not obviously, but like me as a player, but I think um, the, the issues of, of me playing for South Africa, um, going back and forth, I think, at hampered, and I, you always, I always found myself, you know, if I went to play for South Africa, whether whatever it was a qualifier, whatever, I'd come back, and I would actually never play that weekend. And so I don't know, you know, it's like you take the person out to me, which is yeah, but um, I, I got on well enough with him, and yeah, we played. I mean, we played some good football. I think
0: that year we got relegated.
1: Was it? I think it was on goal difference.
2: Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was well, a disgrace, an absolute bloody disgrace. I was, was. going to
1: say,
0: Chris, I presumed you wanted to take the lead on the ghost goal about Jerry Taggart, <laughs> but I imagine, Mark, that must have been horrible for the, uh, the side to take, given that realistically we didn't deserve to go down that season at all.
1: Sure. And, you know, when you, I mean, you spoke earlier about the players in, 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 um, uh, in, at Lazio, but Bolton, we had some fantastic players there. And Definitely. For that to happen, it was, you know, and I distinctly remember because I had signed for Bolton. Um, and I had to leave the UK to receive my work permit. And I came back. And then, um, I think distinctively, it's the game against Everton at the Reebok. Mm-hmm. Where that was the
2: first game, yeah.
1: Yeah, but that was a game where was it the goal was disallowed or allowed? It crossed that
2: the game. line. Don't let anybody tell you any different. The ball was <laughs> miles over the line. But exactly. the stupid
0: that, so referee that, didn't that, see it.
1: That, that, <laughs> that would have been three points. Or would, Did we end up losing or did we draw? I no, think it was it just was the no fact no that no
0: it was Everton. It. it was just the fact that it was Everton and then obviously it comes the end of the season and that's the team that we're in yeah. direct.
2: Had, had the goal been allowed as it should have been, we would have beaten Everton and we would have survived with Everton going down.
1: So, so, so we actually drew the game, but we were, if the goal were allowed, we would have won the game. So we would have had two points extra. Okay. Correct. Exactly. But yeah, for, well, your for date, me, you- sorry, for me, it was a, the highlight was that, again, you, know, um, you mentioned earlier about Man United and uh, my first game. Yeah, mm. my work over. it was against United at Old Trafford and uh, unbelievable, we drew no-no, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic occasion and yeah, it a, it's a fun memory you know, again, playing against uh, a lot of people said, uh, will say to me, well, why didn't you go to United but to play against them and have that result was, yeah, it was a good result
2: There was a couple of games that season I'd just be interested to know if you've got any particular memories of it. I know you've mentioned the United game, I'm interested in my Primary memory from that is a fantastic on-pitch fight between uh, two, two players. I think it was Nathan Blake and Pallister, I think, at United. Um, and then the, the second game I remember very, very very much from that season was when we got absolutely hammered from Sheffield Wednesday, when we were 4-0 <laughs> down at half-time. That, <laughs> that
0: was Jimmy Phillips's to... fault, though. That was Jimmy Phillips's fault. That's right. That's right. I,
2: I mean, no, no, football no, no. fights are fantastic. But from a player's point of view, is any particular other memories of that season?
1: No, but that one, I mean, that Sheffield Wednesday game, you exactly fall down, fall down at half time. You sit as a player, you sit there changing, you think, oh, my gosh, you got Di who was the other one? Uh,
0: Andy Booth was the one who got the goals.
1: No, no, Di and who was the other Italian? Oh, my car yeah, i Oh, oh my gosh, they ripped us to pieces, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking to yourself at half time, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do now? But, um, yeah. Um, I think and again, probably the memory would be the last game against Chelsea, isn't it? You know, mm. uh,
2: yeah, they wanted us, to, us to score so
1: desperately. You're playing, yeah, we play, and yeah, I think, shoot, if I can remember, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but we sort of outplayed them, and you know, we just and then you you go in a half and then but you could hear, you know, the Bolton fans in the stadium, and you go, you, oh, and then you think to yourself, like, but yeah, I mean, I think definitely the the United game for me, and then. Obviously, for me as a as a as a player and moving to the UK and having watched, you know, the big teams, and unfortunately, growing up, we only used to get the FA Cup finals, so you would only watch you'd watch United FA Cup finals in the 80s were generally United, Liverpool, and maybe an Everton, and then you get the odd Wimbledon yeah. and freak show, but then that happened. So, um, so then to play Liverpool, we played Liverpool, where you know at the Reebok Stadium, that was also. For me, um, yeah, it's been a good experience. Oh, you mentioned that. was one, one Chris, of the we ones were talking about this before with the Owen
0: challenge, celebrated very, very heavily by the fans.
2: I absolutely, remember it so clearly that Owen was in his absolute pomp at the time. You know, he was only a young lad, top speed, yeah. fastest yeah, yeah. player I'd ever seen in my life. And I, and I, I, my memory might be playing tricks as well, Mark, but I'm I sure that not... he had a, a, at least a 50 yard head start on you that you managed to catch him up on. You
1: <laughs> know what? You've, I've got goosebumps, you just made my day, because I have exactly that same memory, where I don't know about 50 yards, <laughs> but he was, he was in front of me, and luckily I was fortunate enough to run fast enough and use my long legs and scraping tackle just before he was about to shoot, so yeah, that is an absolute fond memory, That um, and thank it's
2: you it's absolutely brilliant. There are certain, certain traits in certain players that's always always been held dear to me. And I don't know if it was because growing up watching Bolton, we didn't have any particularly exotic players, you know. And then, you know, you came along with South African international, et cetera. And, and that move you had, you always seemed to, to be able at the very last second to hook the ball away with your foot on a slide tackle. I've never forgotten that. Is It's a fantastic memory.
1: No, 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 thank you. But we, I mean, obviously that year, but then, you know, we, we did have a lot of, you know, um, fantastic players come through Bolton in while I was there and um, when you talk about you know, talk about Klaus Jensen. Um, obviously I had a good chance in that sort, but Klaus Jensen and yeah. Frank fantastic players and um we yeah, are again, we had a fantastic team. I think we talk about that year in the Premier League, but I think for me the hardest was the following year. You know, we you get to the you get to Wembley, it's the, the playoff final against Watford and and I I was fortunately the captain then, whatever. And you go out and play, and yeah, we uh, yeah it was disappointing. I think that was the, the hardest for me to lose to 0 to watch. Most, at, definitely.
2: Uh, at Most definitely. There was one player, if you don't mind, then I'll, I'll hand you back to Tom. Just I've always been interested to know what he was like as a, as a person on the side. He only played a part role in that first scene but was Arna gunn yeah, Icelandic forward that we had back in the day I'm not sure if you remember him he looked much like uh, I didn't, I didn't. Ming, Ming, Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon um, <laughs> what, what,
1: <laughs> what, <laughs> I do know exactly Honor, Honor's a good lad yeah, what, about what it? was
2: he like on the training ground because he, he was capable of the most amazing skills and, and his, his career it burned yeah. really really bright for a couple of years and then it just vanished into nothing
1: yeah I think, I think no, Arna was, um, was a fantastic individual um, I think he loved life and and people mm. um, <laughs> he, he loved, and now again I, I would tell him to, as well. It's not like I'm speaking bad about him, but um, if he was ice cream, he would lick himself because he loved himself. But he was a <laughs> fantastic man. But like you said, he had fantastic skills. And I think that was probably for a lot of fans was the downfall where for, of him was that he showed so much potential but never really yeah. gave everything, and, and that's what it looked like. But uh, no, no, honor uh, honor was. The first guy I met uh, when I signed for Bolton, and we okay. stayed in the, the the hotel together. So yeah,
2: he was he was a regular out on the party scene as well around town at that and kind he, of time. He he, <laughs> he he liked he liked a night out.
1: He did, he did. He
2: Fantastic,
0: brilliant. Mentioning Glen Lawson as um, one of your teammates, Mark. I, I'm interested to know which of the um, other central defenders that you most enjoy playing alongside. Because people who spring to mind from from my perspective would be Bergson, Mike Whitlow, Jerry Taggart, or other other defenders like that.
1: So um, I think I, I'm gonna say um, Goodney is probably the the best that I enjoyed the most because I mean Goodney's Goodney is He just was a solid defender. Um, Jerry Jerry, I mean Jerry's just hardcore, and I love Jerry. So <laughs> he was just uh, no, 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 you know, it's difficult to um, separate any of them again. And then even you know um, Andy Todd, you know, on his day, mm-hmm. he played fantastic football. So. Um, but there was some good, and you know, Mike. Yeah, you're right. Mike Whitlow played once or twice, played uh, at, on left, um, left central defence. But um, yeah, we had we had really good defenders. But I'd probably say um, at at um, at Bolton, I'd probably say uh, Goodney was probably the favourite because he was the most reliable and probably the most consistent of all of, all of them.
0: Yeah, good, good. news, obviously, very, very fondly remembered by all of us. Uh, obviously, as you say, very, very difficult to come into your first season expecting to be a Premier League footballer. You've got a good squad there that realistically should have been playing at that level. When you then did get relegated, and obviously you're now playing in Division Division One, having been at Lazio a couple of seasons before, did that take some getting used to?
1: So, um, I think for me, what the fortunate thing was, you know, losing the 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 playoff final to Watford, um, you know. I fortunately went on to, to play for South Africa at our first World Cup, which was 98. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the disappointment of not being promoted. I think that helped a little bit. But again, coming back to the preseason, going back again, um, not really. I, I, you, know, you know, yes, you obviously want to be playing the Premier League, but the first division, and which is now the championship, is as, if not even more, competitive. Um, we play so much, so, uh, so many, so much more games. Um, um, I think it, it took our team uh, a little while to get used to it in the sense that I think was it halfway through that season when Colin Todd left and then, um, Sam Allardyce came, yes, in, in and, the November, uh, yeah. So I think that was the biggest challenge because Big Sam himself was a big central defender and hardcore, kick the ball as far as you can and head of the ball as far as you can. Um, and what I do respect for of him at the time is that you know he inherited a team that wanted to play football. It wasn't a it wasn't a typical let's kick the ball as far as we can do this. And he tried to his first training session. He stood on the halfway line and kicked the ball in the air, and we as defenders must run and header it as far as we could. So it's like no, brother, this is not really going to happen for us. Let's get it mm-hmm. done. And I think over I think it probably took Sam two three months. And he realised the sort of players he has, um, and he grew into that. So, and then again, you know, that's um, year the second year with, with Sam is what we we lost to Ipswich in the semi-finals of the which another was a disgrace. Game, yeah, what was it? Seven goals, something yeah. like that. But we had <laughs> well, such a we team. had such a technical such a
2: technical squad that season. You know, with Jensen, Fransen, and Johansson, yourself, Gunlagson, Sellers, Johnson, Gardner, etc it was pointless to play that kind of football. You know, you had some quality players there, but moving on to that Ipswich game, I'll let Tom talk you through the, the numbers in that one because I'll just get angry.
0: <laughs> 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 well, I, I think just talk about the playoffs in general. I think, as it said, it sort of characterises your time at the club, Mark. I imagine they're just such a high-pressure thing that to have it taken away from you like that in the way that Barry yeah. Knight did is just horrible to experience.
1: Exactly. So, Wembley was my worst stadium because, again, wasn't it... Um, Unfortunately, I, I, I missed out again because of the African Nations Cup in 2000. I missed out on the, the, the League Cup um, semi-final, but the FA Cup semi-final against Villa at at
0: Wembley,
1: missing mm. on penalties, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and another one. Shouldn't, have, shouldn't have even got to penalties if Holdsworth nah. could bloody finish. Ah yeah, let's not go there. Let's
0: not. Nice <laughs> <laughs> no, it, in the I World say, Cup in 1998.
2: Mark, did you did you come up against Fransen for Denmark? I know you were in the same group, weren't you? Sorry, what's that? Sorry, I beg your pardon. Did, when you played in the World Cup with South Africa in '98, Per Franson would have been playing for the Danish team in that first round. Did you come up against one another?
1: Um, I did, but I don't think Per was playing. I don't. I think he was on the ah, bench. Ah, was he a
2: sub? Ah, okay, yeah, fair I enough.
1: Single because had the you had the Laudrup brothers and yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. I think he was on the bench, but yeah. I, oh, I, I fair enough. Another day, and if we. Yeah, if we could have just won that game, then yeah. Anyway, let's pass. Let's
0: not. <laughs> it. No, it's fair enough. I'm I'm looking at the uh, the Ipswich game now. Finished five three, and we had two people sent off in the space of seven uh, minutes. It's oh, just. Yeah. Uh, do 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 you still look back on that on that night with hatred towards Barry Knight, or have you been able to let it go?
1: Unlike I, most of us. No, no, we can. No, no, okay, let's move on. We can let it go. But if you look back and you think <laughs> it was, it, I, I think it was comical what happened that evening. um yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, we went, we went, and I think most Bolton fans went. What was the game? What was the result at home? Two two, I think. Yeah. Was it two two at home? So yeah. okay. So they they had a they had a good chance to, uh, yeah. But I think we went there with optimism, and yeah, um, yeah. I think just uh, yeah, the refereeing wasn't the best, unfortunately, and uh, yeah. But we look at ourselves, and then unfortunately, we didn't do. Yeah, but I think that that probably was. A bigger disappointment for me than losing the year before in the in the playoff final.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Did do, do you think we should have
0: even been in the playoffs? Do you think there was a quality in that squad to get us up automatically in the playoffs? No, I'm saying so. Oh, we're, obviously, I'm we're clear. in the playoffs for those two years, but I think we probably had the quality in that squad to be able to go up automatically, regardless.
1: Both and both years certainly, but that second year, you know, um, I remember with uh, you know being 2000 and we were still. Back and forth, we weren't on the same uh, page as uh, as FIFA and that. And I think the, the championship, how many teams in the championship? Yes, yeah. 24. 24. Four the 24. Yeah. 24, so 23, so that's 46 games. I remember Klaus Jensen telling me that because of his games that he was playing for, for Denmark and this, he, at one stage, had played 64 games in the calendar year. I mean. So in the football calendar year. So, and I probably was the same. So... Yeah, we certainly did have the, the quality of squad to to um to go up automatically, but uh, yeah, unfortunately it didn't happen. Uh it's a dreadful shame. Did, was it how
0: difficult was it on sort of the squad's morale? Because it seemed like you had a very good dressing room at that time. It must have been difficult to cope with two successive playoff losses.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's um you know, you you had I think advice was key to, to having the morale good. Um the players themselves. Um yeah, I just think that. I think that was again, like I said, that probably was, if not the biggest disappointment in my football career for that that night at Ipswich, because I know that if we had got through that, we would have certainly got on. Yeah, the dreadful
0: shame, isn't it? Just looking back on it, and you, what what might have been almost. And um, I, I yeah. look at, as well, of course, going into that uh, two thousand two thousand and one season. Again, as you you be a mainstay right at the start, and then it seemed as though the financial pressures that were on the club after moving to the new stadium and not getting promoted seemed to to really hit hard. How, how much of that were you made aware of as a player?
1: So I don't think as much, um, but you know, again, um, you know, you just play football and you do what you need to do. Um, I don't think every, I don't think everything was really told to us as as, as players. And um, yeah, I just think that it all came at at one shot. Yeah, um, and suddenly affected everyone.
0: Yeah, it's like I said, you weren't the only player who was almost forced out. Was there ever any idea in your mind that you wanted to leave Bolton? Obviously, you ended up at Charlton, going with with Klaus Jensen. I, I wasn't sure if that was almost forced upon you rather than something you wanted to happen. So,
1: so um, the sad thing is that I when we when we lost that Ipswich. Um, a playoff, my agent said to me, okay, well, you know, and I think Charlton got promoted, obviously, that year, and then um, he said to me, Charlton interested, and then um, I went down and had a medical with Charlton in the off-season. And unfortunately, um, through a month of injuries or not ever having the ACL done, but uh, there was so much wear and tear on my knees, Charlton said, no, they're not going to take that chance. But they said to the agent, okay, well, um, Let's uh, monitor him. And unfortunately, once that had happened, um, me and Sam sort of fell out because, you know, Sam wanted me to sign a new deal. And it was never, And again, I'm not being a typical football, it's not about money, but if I'm playing in the championship and it's going to be the third year in a row, I'd rather be wanting, if, if there is an opportunity, you want to be playing in the best league against the best players. Of course. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Sam, you know, he just, he put a lot of pressure on me. And me and him just didn't see eye to eye. And even at training sessions, and you know, I think still at the time I could have been captain. And then, you know, and distinctively remember we were playing Birmingham away um, at Birmingham, obviously. And I think with about 15 or 20 minutes, I can't remember the result. I think we ended up winning anyway. But, you know, 15, 20 minutes to go, you subbed me. And Sam had never, never done it before. And, um, me and uh, that was the Saturday and the Sunday night I got the phone call and said listen yeah um, you can
0: go to Charlton uh, it's a shame that it all sort of had to end that way but it would be completely remiss of me to not talk about how disappointed the fans would have felt at that time given you were such a cult hero Chris do you, do you want to shout fish or shall I or what
2: <laughs> no but I'll tell you what I will say my mum my mom... He's very disappointed with you, Mark. She spent 12 pounds on a hat for me when I was about 14, and I only ever, only ever wore it three or four times a big, stupid, fish shaped hat. I begged, <laughs> her, and begged her and begged cool her to hat. buy it for me. <laughs> nah,
1: it's a cool hat, it's not a stupid hat. But anyway, yeah. I'll have to. No, it's a shame this I isn't think... a
2: video podcast. I could have, could have dug it out and worn it.
1: <laughs> but I think, you know, you know. Bolton was such a good club. The fans were so good to me. Um, we ha- I got fantastic memories. And as you said, there, unfortunately, the way that I left the club, um, you know, um, and I will try to say it. So the Saturday got, got substituted. The Sunday, I get a that Saturday night. I actually, got a call Sunday I can go down. So I said to um, the the kit guy, you know, listen, yeah, can I? am going to come to the training ground, say goodbye to players. And unfortunately, Sam was, I think, so disappointed in me that I was leaving the club, or whatever you want to call it, that he didn't allow me to turn it down. This kid guy actually came and gave my boots to me, and then I left. So I never had the chance to say goodbye to the players. Such a shame.
0: It, it seems, and we've obviously done podcasts with quite a few players over the last couple of months or so, that once you're not his player, it's almost like Sam's pastoral care towards them just ends. And it's quite horrible to see a man who's so revered at Bolton almost... You know, treat people like commodities rather than people. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, such is life. Exactly. What, what, why? Do you have any particular brilliant memories with with the fans? Do you have one that
1: sticks out for you? Sure. No, I just, I, you know, I think Bolton fans. I I'm uh, gonna probably say, <laughs> yeah, sure. There's probably the one when playing in the in the first division or championship, whatever you want to call. it, um, We played against uh, Grimsby, and. <laughs> Obviously it's I remember a fish in town. Fishing town. And next minute um the fans were singing there's only one fish in Grimsby. <laughs> so yeah, the golden, fans, golden fans were yeah, they were very good to me. So uh, but I distinctly remember that that there's only one fish in Grimsby. So sure. Um they were always good to me and uh I have fond memories and I'm very grateful for you know, as you said there earlier about the hat. Um no they <laughs> they, they just took to me uh, like they did to all the other players as well. But, yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. And it's Bolton itself, the city, the the, the town. Yeah, I, I've got fond memories. I, I remember every single thing that I did there. So I love it. And, and yeah, I miss it. Have, have you Not been able to come back that. in don't miss it? years? Sorry. Sorry. No, guys. yes, I,
0: yeah, I was going to say, I, would, I wouldn't imagine you would do. <laughs> No, nah, don't be <laughs> No, we spoke to Rady Jaidi who is obviously from Tunisia and he said he absolutely couldn't stand the weather in Bolton. So
1: I I don't, I don't mind the rain but you know that drizzle for 2 weeks now nah, that's not happening. Sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Much better to be back in South Africa from that perspective I, I would be sure. Uh, yeah. I I mentioned I mentioned sort of at the, at the top of the podcast how you know influential you were in helping to get the 2010 World Cup to South Africa Um I imagine that must be one of the things that also sticks out in your memory as a real high point for you as well.
1: No, certainly. Um, you know, to, to have experienced uh, what we did here in South Africa on the African continent, for sure. It's something um, that it's fun memory. But unfortunately, you know, the having had the World Cup here and having all the fans around the world and having to have the, the best players in the world come play here, uh, I, I think it's... If you look at what has happened from our football since, um, the memories are, are the best things. Um, but our football, I think that it's the World Cup, for two or three years after the World Cup, did a lot for us, but um, people forget quickly and people want to do less and do, do whatever suits them. So I think, the the World Cup, if I look back now, it's a 50-50. 50% for me is unbelievable. The other 50 is what it's done to our football and how they think and what they do. So uh, there's pros and cons, but unfortunately, um, well, fortunately, I'll focus on the pros.
2: Fantastic. It's just so interesting just to hear the insight, not only for your, for your, like, your, your playing experience over here, but the, the experiences you've had since. Just a couple of bits then, but I guess before we bring things to a close, I'd be curious to know, if um, you have any particular memories of playing in England in terms of who your toughest opponent was? I mean, around that sort of time, it was in the pomp of, you know, Robbie Fowler and um, people like Michael Owen, that like we've already discussed, Shearer. Anyone in particular that comes to mind? So,
1: again, you know, you have Shearer, but um, and then you you have uh, Terry Henry, you have those players, but then you have a, a big Scotsman um, that just, first ball that comes in the air, he's a striker, and he elbows you in the face, and you're like, what do you mean buddy? It's just a football. Big Dunk Ferguson. That it was a mm, handful. Right. Big Dunk Ferguson was a handful. Wow. Happy. they all all experiences. I mean again, I mean I don't want to sound cliche here, but you know, as a footballer, you want to play against the, the hardest, the best players. And so it's all fond memories. Um but there's no there's no player um that I would say that, oh gosh, we're playing against so and so and he's playing. No, there's no player like that. I think that again the English league um you know, having the the top players and having the excitement of the way of football, um, that's what you want to compete against. So of course, and there's, there's no one that that I ever feared, um, but obviously respected. Obviously, a lot of players, but um, yeah, it's just it's it's fond memories.
2: There's one final question for me, then, if you don't mind. It, it's back to your South African days. There's always been a player who's fascinated me since day one, purely down to his name. Did you ever play with Dr. Kumalo? I did. <laughs>
1: So I played with Dr. Kamalo. Um, he's not a doctor, so I really just take him. <laughs> no, way. Um, he's actually he's actually such a softy. Where yeah, but Dr. Kamalo, um, and we unfortunately, we had a of the '96 team, the late John Michelle. You know, you put a ball at those individuals' feet, and they do unbelievable things that you you stand there amazed, and they just just gifted. So I played with Dr. Kamalo, and um, he's a fantastic footballer mm. with, the ball, with the ball at his feet. He's always a
2: fascinating character for me growing up. Like, so it was around that sort of time when you came to Bolton and around that time, the time the sort of night, the World Cups that I would see these players play. Always, and you say about John Machu, always known his shoes. Always yeah. remember these names when in my sort of formative years watching football. Fantastic, thank you. Yeah,
1: I know. So, the, sorry, so just so in, in 96 when you're talking about it, so you had you had you would have a, a fan come with a, a, a stethoscope. Holding a, holding a shoe with a tin of in it. So that's obviously supporting me, Dr. C- Dr. Moller's shoes and fish. But anyway, See, the, fi-
2: the, the fish hat's not as daft as it sounds, is it, I guess? <laughs> that,
0: not
1: at all. It's not an essential
0: all. piece of fashion, Chris, I think. Wonderful. I'm
2: going to I'm gonna have to find it, I think. It'd be in my mum's house somewhere.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think what I'd ask you also, um, Mark, seeing as we're talking about South African football, there. are there any players that you know of at the moment that we should be looking out for making it big in the coming years?
1: So, um, it's, it's difficult for me. I don't, uh, it might be a shock to you guys, I don't really watch football. Um, I, I do football projects on the farms in the public. So, what I've come up with is a shortened version of football. So, we have um, IPL cricket, P20 cricket, we yeah, have sevens rugby. We don't have anything in football. So, what I've done is, I do it on the farms here in, um, in South Africa, and when I eventually get it to the under-15 level, so I do a shortened version of football, which is 20, 20, 20 minutes and a half, um, still full size, 11v11. And then at the flick of a coin, you you select when you want a five-minute power play. And in that five-minute power play, uh, you take three players off the field. So it becomes 10v7. So when you're thinking of under 15 level, 10v7. So now we want to create, to make the game quicker, make the game more exciting, and um, But also one of our biggest challenges in South Africa, and probably on the continent to a degree, is that we don't shoot outside the 18-yard area. So now, if you score outside the 18-yard area, it counts as two. Oh really? Okay.
2: So interesting.
1: Makes it makes the game quicker. So there there certainly are players um, out there that, but I don't. I I can't really to be 100%. I don't follow the league. I follow whatever happens. But um, I'm trying to change the way the play the People of South Africa think about football. And sorry. And so what we do is at, there's no extra time, um, straight to penalties. Penalties are on the 18-yard area. On the semicircle, you put the ball on the line. You have to hit the crossbar as our goalkeeper. So what we're, trying, what we're trying to do is not only make the game quicker, make players better, sk- skills improvement, improve the coaching. And again, I think the most important thing is to improve the knowledge of a football fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish you the best of luck with
0: it Mark I, I think it's Thank fantastic you. what you're doing out there and uh, like I say, let's hope that soon normal, normality can come back and we can get back to you know doing what we all do best and hopefully watching some football Yes, for sure, and let's hope that uh, Bolton can uh, pull a rabbit out the hat <laughs> Absolutely, I will just ask before, uh, before we close this out Mark um, do you have any message for the Bolton fans? We had a fantastic response uh, on Twitter when we told people that you were coming on, lots of questions and a lot of people just shouting Fiji
1: no, no. I just I just want to say to them that, you know, thank you very much for all their support and everything that they gave me as a player there. Um, not only at Bolton, but, uh, you know, in the UK when I played football there. And uh, fond memories. And uh, Bolton, especially Bolton, was like a second uh, home away from home.
0: Brilliant. It's good to hear that you still got a bit of fond memories for the club because the fans certainly still have fond memories for you. Thank you very much, Mark, for your Thanks time. It's very been, much, a, been a fantastic you. chat. And thank you to you, Chris, as well, for coming on and helping with Anytime. my uh, sort of gaps in my 90s knowledge. Uh, thank you for <laughs> listening, everyone, to the Ilana Vienna Street podcast, episode 144, with special guest Mark Fish. Thank you, gentlemen.